0: Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. And like I said, we do have a bit to get through this morning. Uh, we are working through the book of Haggai, which is two chapters long. Um, it's, I think it's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's, we know it's two chapters. We started two weeks ago uh, and we're back in it this morning. Firstly, I, I want to talk about uh, expectations and reality. I don't know if you've ever tried to bake a cake... Uh, I have never tried to bake a cake, but uh, you see these kind of nice cakes, especially when you're a kid or you are, are having a children, you have a birthday party, and you think, wow, that cake looks great. Uh, is it the Woman's Day, Woman's Day Birthday Cake books? There's any, hands up if you remember those. My mum had those, and she was great. and She used to make great cakes, by the way. Um, but sometimes the expectation and the reality do not quite match out. You'll see here, here is the expectation of the hedgehog cake. Look at that, beautiful sculpt, wood, uh, not wood, that's not wood, that's chocolate. But then the reality is not always the, <laughs> the case. The expectation, imagine, imagine that on your birthday, that thing looks scary. I think the kids would go home with nightmares. And then there's this one, Elsa off uh, Frozen. You know Frozen came out 10 years ago? Does that make you feel old? Uh, and then the reality, Elsa here, um, she... There you going? I'm Elsa. Uh, that's, that's the picture that I get. And this one here, uh, Minnie Mouse. Look at that beautiful Minnie Mouse cake. Uh, you'd love that for your birthday. And then the reality... Uh, just not quite as good, uh, but at least at least they tried. Oh, poor things! And then this one's my favourite: Thomas the Tank Engine. Who who would love a Thomas the Tank Engine cake? And then the reality is, the Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, it's it's not great, is it? Expectations. Hands up if you can relate to that. A uh, few few hands have gone up. Um, Actually, I can't. My mum was great at baking cakes, so there you go. Anyway, I can relate to expectations and the reality in different areas of my life, where it be fitness or other foods, and and in fact, one of the areas is fishing. Uh, last school holidays, Josiah and I, my little boy, we got involved in fishing. We bought brand new rods and we had all the gear. We even got one of those fishing UV fifty eight protection thingy tops, and uh, with a big shark on the front. and And so we went fishing. We actually did a bit of river fishing. And remember, we drive to the river and we're thinking dad we're going to catch something big I can feel it this was the expectation that this is this is what in our minds this is what we're going to pull out of that the river monster it's going to be huge anyway we were fishing two three hours nothing nothing people were riding past laughing at us uh in boats and kayaks in cars go home but we, we just kept persevering and then all of a sudden after about three hours of fishing I started I felt something I'm like oh it's the big one, it is the big one and start winding it in and my rod starts bending over and it felt like it was you know kind of like skipping through the water and I'm winding and I'm winding I'm like the expectation is this big thing but the reality was it was a pair of sunglasses (laughs) a pair of sunglasses is what I call ballet sunglasses Uh, so uh, we went home with no fish but a brand new pair of sunglasses. So the expectation, and the hands up if you can relate to that when it comes to fishing, uh, but at least I did catch something. I tried to sell it at Cash Converters. They, they said I was dreaming. Anyway, that is where we're at this morning. When we come to the book of Haggai, we're actually going to see expectations and reality. Expectations and reality. You see, in the book of Haggai, last week, um, Not last week, last week we had Rodney Olson, but the week before that we started in chapter 1 and if you remember the history, the people of Israel were uh, enslaved by the Babylonians for 70 plus years Uh, and then they've uh, been enslaved under captivity, Jerusalem is no longer Jerusalem. But then the Persians come and take over and a remnant of people with Zerubbabel and Joshua come back down to rebuild the city or rebuild the temple and and start life. And so the goal was to come back and and rebuild the temple. And in the first chapter, we see that that actually wasn't happening. Because in the first chapter, we see what? Uh, That there was some misplaced priorities that the people of Israel had actually spent 14 years rebuilding their own homes and not just basic, they were going over the top, weekly runs to Bunnings and Bed Plus and all that kind of stuff, making their homes look great while God's house, the temple, lay in ruins. Just the foundation was built. 14 years it was like that. And, and Haggai, who's a prophet, says, hey guys, your priorities are wrong. And I don't have to know if you're... Uh, at that message or listen to that message, we talked about how you juggle balls in life and some balls are rubber and some balls are what? Glass. And the balls that are rubber can actually, we can, we can drop those balls because they were bounced. But there are some balls that we're juggling that are actually made of glass and we don't want to drop them. And, and they're really important things in our lives like family and, and health and, and actually the things of God. We don't want to drop them. They're they're high priorities. And, And we see in chapter one the prophets say, Hey, people, you've been running around, you've been chasing things, you've been building your own houses, you eat but you're not full, you drink but you're still thirsty, you make money but your pockets have got holes in them. Why? Because you've had misplaced priorities. Rebuild my house. Is it right that your house looks good, but God's, the temple? Remember, the temple in a Jewish thought is is where God, not just in thought, in practicality and outworkings, that's where God resides. That's where God lives. And by building that temple, they're saying, we we follow God, we follow Yahweh, we follow the God of the Bible. And they were challenged. And if you remember, right at the end of chapter 1, It said that the people responded, they were motivated, they were challenged, and they start to rebuild God's temple. And this is where we pick it up. We pick it up in chapter 2 now. They've been building this temple, and we're going to see what Haggai now has to say. But before we get into chapter 2, we can actually see that they've spent a month of building, and already there's some discouragement and some depression why? Because the expectation was something great and the reality was uh, not quite as nice. Look at here in, in Ezra. Now Ezra is kind of Haggai and Ezra, They're, they run kind of almost parallel because Ezra here, this is where they laid the foundation. And look what, look what they said about this temple. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple. The former temple was Solomon's temple. Cedar wood and gold and beautiful paving and and gold tribbing, this beautiful temple for God to to, to make the offerings and, and to come to Him and all these types of things. The former temple that Solomon had built, they remembered that and look at their response, just like the five year old when mum brings out the cake. They wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple, Zerubbabel's temple, being laid. While others shouted for joy, they thought it was pretty good. And this is what we see happening right now. You see, here's a picture of, this isn't, wasn't taken on someone's iPhone. This is a, a kind of a, a painting or a drawing of what Solomon's temple would look like. You know, like I said, it was big and it was beautiful paving and there was gold and, and cedar wood and, and, and the, the finest, finest uh, materials. And then this is probably what Zerubbabel's temple looked like. This is what they've rebuilt. This is something that I would build, probably, not even, maybe, no, I wouldn't. But you can see the difference. Which one looks better? Solomon's. The expectation was it was going to be this beautiful thing, what we remember, but the reality is, it wasn't quite as good. And so as we read into chapter 2, this is what's happening in the minds and the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel that the older people remembered and the younger people are thinking, man, this doesn't look great. They've returned to building, they return to the task, and right at this point they're overcome with discouragement, they're overcome with depression. They realise that this new temple is nowhere near as good as the old temple. Expectations and reality. Now this happens to us. Before we look at how God responds, this happens to us all the time. Now, in, in the church, we do this as well. We, we can sit here at Lakeside and we look at the, the, the early church in Acts and we say, wow, look at the early church. They came together and they ate and they shared their goods. They sold all their possessions and they shared it and they prayed and they listened to the apostles' teachings. And, and, and they, they came and worshipped and they, they did all these things together and the church grew in number and it grew and it grew and it grew. And it grew. But look at Lakeside, wow, this was the expectation. But we sit in a stadium Or or not only that, we look at the church history and we think, oh man, the revivals for Europe and the Great Awakenings in America and the Billy Graham period, where, where is that happening now? Oh man, the expectation would be that the gospel would go out, but the reality is it's just not quite like that. Or maybe even just here in Perth, you know, you look and we're here at Lakeside and you hear stories about, you know, Hillsong. They started by, by meeting in their lounge room and now there's 20,000 people or, or, or Kingdom City or, or all these great churches. And here we are just kind of listening to average preaching and kind of good worship. And we don't even have air the The, the, the re- expectation is this but the reality is really this, and it's easy to compare and think, where, where is this all going? And not only that, not just in church circles, we do it in our own Christian lives. And we look at other people and we think, wow, especially with Facebook and Instagram and tick-tick or whatever it is, what, what's that tick thing or whatever anyway. But, but we look and we think, man, that person's life. They look like they've got purpose and their family looks great and they're always going on holidays and, and, and we make that comparison. And, and not only that, we have the expectation of what our lives should be like. But it's always, not always the reality, is it? The expectation that I, I, I was going to have a great career or, or my business was going to go well but actually my business is struggling. Or the expectation that that uh, family, I wanted to have a great family, but actually my relationships are broken. Or the expectation of, of wanting to do things, to, to use my body, my hands, but actually the reality is my health is, is not great and it's it's holding me back. I'm sick or I'm, I'm, un- I'm unhealthy. The expectation and the reality. So we can relate to what's happening here in Haggai. Situations in life come and they wear us down emotionally, we can compare, we have the expectation but the reality is like this, we get discouraged, we get depressed and we think, what's the point? What is the point? So what happens when the reality is nowhere near the same as the expectation? Well, let's have a look uh, at, at what happens in Haggai. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1, here on the screen. Oh, we've got these names and these words again. I should have practiced them during the week. Uh, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So about a month after they have been building, they have been going hard, rebuilding the temple, but they're discouraged. This is what God says, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of of Shittal, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest and the remnant of the people. And this is what God says, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? He's God talking about the temple. Who saw it when it was built before? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like Nothing. Gosh, God, the encourager. Well, what is is he saying here? Let me read it again. Uh, God speaks and he says, uh, Ask them, who have you left, who is left, who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And this is where we start. And this is really interesting because God begins with realism. God begins with realism, the reality of the situation. God says he knows how you feel, that it is true that the work you're doing does not compare to the work that was done before, that was done previously, and that may be going on somewhere else, something else or what was done before was actually better. God is acknowledging the situation as they saw it, he doesn't try to uh, cover it up. He doesn't say oh you know you're kind of idolizing the past it wasn't that good before he doesn't say oh you're being too hard on yourself actually God begins with realism now I may get an email or two with this next part but this is what I think <laughs> God is saying I can see Peter laughing at me this is what's happening it be, yet God begins with realism and he's saying yep it's crap. God is saying it is crap. You know why? Cuz sometimes life is crap. It is, isn't it? That's the reality of the situation. Sorry for the little ones. That is the reality of the situation here. It's crap when someone is diagnosed with cancer. It's crap when your when your business goes bankrupt. There's hard times, there's disappointments, there's pain, there's suffering. When the doctor calls, the divorce papers arrive, the check bounces. When the police knock at the door, when a family member gets sick, when the boss calls you into the, to his office and they're, and they're making cuts, it's not good. There's no sugarcoating that. And what I love here is God doesn't sugarcoat. God brings the reality guys it's not great you know it's it's like when you when your kid brings in something they've made let's be honest (laughs) it's not great the heart behind it's fine but gee but God is real why because our lives are real and sometimes I think we can get caught in making cliche little comments oh it's not that bad no it is bad Or you'll be right. Well, maybe I won't be all right. God doesn't do that. God brings the reality. There's a realism. God brings the realism. Yep, this isn't good. It's crap. I'll say it one more time, then I won't say it again. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to some of that crap? I think you can, because that's the human experience, isn't it? Whatever it may be, we go through that. That is what life is and God doesn't sugarcoat that. Now, he's going to show us how to work through that, but he doesn't say, oh, no, it's not that bad. No, it is. It's bad. This was the expectation and the reality is it's like this. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Admiral Stockdale. He was, uh, you look at his credentials up there on the on the screen, 37 years, regular Navy. He was a fighter pilot. Uh, he was shot down uh, uh, in the Vietnam War on his third deployment, on his third tour of Vietnam. And he was a prisoner of war for seven years. For seven years. He was tortured 15 times. Solitary confinement for four years. Four years he was in solitary confinement. A leg irons for two years. I, I'm assuming they... Chains and a ball or something like that for two years. Uh, anyway, Stockdale, Admiral Stockdale was being interviewed by a guy named Jim Collins, who's a business guy, and he was interviewing him, uh, and he was interviewing him about what it was like to be in a prisoner, be a prisoner of war in in prisoner of war camp, and he asked about the prisoners that died and the prisoners that that didn't die, and he said, well, you know, obviously there were many who died, and and there were some who survived this. St- a dreadful situation, being at a prisoner of war camp, and he basically said, "Who died?" Jim Collins asked Admiral Stockdale, "Who were the ones that died?" And, and he said, Stockdale's response was quite interesting. He actually said, "Oh, that's easy. It was the optimists that would die." Now, that's not an answer that you would expect, is it? Then, an optimist is someone who's really positive. Yeah, we're going to get through this. You know, whereas a pessimist, oh, life sucks, and you know that's that's that's, and you you would expect it would be the pessimist that wouldn't survive in that situation, but but actually Stockdale says no, it was the optimist that would not survive, and so Jim Collins, he, in this interview, he he goes, what do you mean the optimist died? How come the optimist died? And then he said, this, this is why the optimist would die. It's because they would die of a, of a broken heart. He said, the optimists must say we would be out by Christmas, and they weren't. We'd be out by Easter, and they weren't. We'd be out by my birthday, and they weren't. And eventually, they would give up. And Stockdale's response was this, you're not going to get out, now deal with it. Now deal with it. Now, actually, if you read up on Stockdale, he's not a Christian, but he has this this interesting little uh, kind of formula that he used in this process, the reality of the situation, where where they were at, and then having faith in something bigger. Um, But basically, he would say, you'd have to deal with the current situation. The reality is, you're not going to get out. In other words, be positive about where you are. But don't be glib and shallow optimists saying everything will be okay. Because it's not. And that's what we see here with God. No, it's not okay. It's terrible. It's bad. It's horrible. Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu, uh, was being interviewed, and again, a similar interview. And they were asked him um, that he was, that the interviewer said, I've always seen you as someone who's incredibly. Uh, optimist, an optimist in, in all areas of life. And Desmond Tutu actually interrupted the interview and said, whoa, 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 I'm not actually an optimist. And the guy said the same thing, but you're so positive. And then he says, actually, I'm what you would refer to as a prisoner of hope. And it's actually quoting from a scripture in Zechariah. And it's actually this, this incredible thought. Because an optimist is this kind of everything's going to be all right, basing it on nothing, but a prisoner of hope is different. You see, hope is powerful. Hope is, is different. It's more than optimism. Optimism is, is kind of cheap. Optimism is ultimately just about optics and uh, about how you see the world, the world, half, the glass is half full. Hope is different. Hope has a cosmic quality. Hope is, is rooted and, and grounded in faith. Hope is, is grounded in faith with, with feet wedged in suffering. The reality of this world, that there is hard stuff in this world, but there is hope. Hope is a heart, or is the heart in agony. Hope waits and longs for liberation and freedom. Another quote by Desmond Tutu says, "'Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness.'" And this is really interest interesting. Um, for hope to exist, there has to be darkness. For hope to be real, there has to be a prison. Um, for hope to, to um, be there, there has to be darkness. And there is in this world, isn't there? And our experience is that. We know what that feels like. So it's not about just being an optimist. It's about having hope in something greater than ourselves. And this is where we'll see that God, uh, Haggai, takes us. We need hope to bear the darkness. Hope is not a choice. Uh, hope is not politics. When we become a prisoner of hope, it, it embodies who we are. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want change. You, you, you want change. We want to bring change. But you can only bring change when you actually know where you firstly are. Does that make sense? If you don't know the reality of the situation, then you never change. If you don't realize how bad it is or you don't realize what you're actually in, then, then you don't bring, You can't bring change. So yes, we want to bring change, but we start with knowing, you know what, this is not great. And this is what we see with Haggai. And then he's going to say, okay, it's not great, it's crap, but this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. To focus on this is where I want you to get your hope, and he gives us some instructions. Here we go. Chapter same chapter, verse four. Yeah, it's terrible. Verse four says, "But now be strong, O Zerubbabel," declares the Lord. "Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land," declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. So he says what? Be strong and work. And he says it three times there. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people. You put your name in there. Be strong, Anthony. Be strong, Peter. Be strong, John. Be strong, Maria. Be strong, for whatever your name is, that is the same today. That while the reality of the situation may not be great, in fact, it's crap, God says, Be strong. Be strong and work. Be strong and work. Now, this is a theme we see constantly throughout Scripture. We see here in Deuteronomy 31, this is Moses. The final charge for the people to go into the promised land. Look at this, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Almost the same type of words as, as Haggai is saying. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, now if you read the story of Joshua, be strong and courageous is, is used all the time. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong. And courageous. And David to Solomon, interestingly enough, in regards to building the temple, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for your Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. So here's the key point. Uh, be strong and Work in hope despite the disappointing circumstances. Are, are there going to be disappointing circumstances? Absolutely. God doesn't say that if you become a Christian or if you follow him, all those things will disappear. No. What does he say? He says you're going to have those situations. And yes, it's crap. But he encourages us. He calls us to be strong, to continue to work in those situations and then he gives us the reason why we can be strong. Why can we be strong? Why can we continue to work regardless of the disappointing situation? We'll read here, this is what he says. Oh man, my PowerPoint. That, that, I don't know why that, the circumstances popped down on my screen, it looked awesome. But the first reason we can be strong is the promise of God's presence. The promise of God's presence. Look at, the passage there, it says, but now be strong Zerubbabel, Joshua, uh, and the people, and work. Why? Are we being strong in our own strength? Why can we be strong? The promise of God's presence. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Is there going to be some horrible situations in life? Absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to suck. But we can be strong And we continue to work. Why? Because God is with us. Look at those other passages that we looked at earlier. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Especially when we're called to to do the work that God is calling us to live out this Christian life. We know, will those horrible things go away? No. But we don't do them on our own. Clearly says it there, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid of discouraged. for the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I don't know your situation or your circumstance today. But I do know this. Whether you're going through some crappy situations, you can hold on to this truth. The promise, the promise of God's presence no matter what situation you're facing, God is with you. Now, you might say, God, just take it away. I don't want to, and I don't know or understand why sometimes he does or sometimes he doesn't. But I do know this. We can be strong and we can continue to work regardless of our circumstances. Why? Because God is with us. You know that, 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 that Footprints poem? You've heard that one, the two footprints on the beach. Have you Hands up if you've heard that one. I'm not going to say it then. It's kind of like that, that God is with us in those moments. Now, we can choose to rely on God in those situations. We can choose to view our situations with with God, knowing that God is there. We can push God away. We can become angry. Regardless of it, you you have to find a way of explaining how you're going to get through these situations. You know, people always say, uh, who aren't followers of God or atheists, well, why do bad things happen? Well, why don't you ask them? You know, you know how they do that sometimes? Why do bad things happen? Well, you tell me why bad things happen. They need to, they need to explain it as well, don't they? This is why I think bad things happen, but this is, this is what I've got. I've got God who's going to be with me, who's promised his presence, regardless of the situation, regardless how scary it is, regardless how horrible it is. I can be strong and I can continue to work. This is a glove. <laughs> um, now, if I just put the glove on the floor, it's, it doesn't really do anything, does it? If I put it there, imagine if it started moving. Woo! Gee, church numbers would go up then. Um, but it, it's not until I put it on. It's weird wearing one glove. Who? Michael Jackson. Oh, should have got a large... Now, okay, now the glove's got, now it can really work, okay? It can protect my skin, uh, when I, it can keep my hand warm, it can protect it from the sun, I can lift things without hurting my hand, and, and I can still move. I, this may be a bit of a corny illustration, but what I, what I want to say is that, that that's what God is like. In, in, when we allow Him into our lives, He already is there we actively involve him in in all of our lives, regardless of our circumstances and our situations, he is there like a glove. Now again, we can, I'll take this off before someone takes a photo. Um, We can choose to put it on in many ways. We can choose to activate it. We can just leave it sitting on the bench. That doesn't change the fact. This is a truth. You may not feel it, you may not say it, but, but that, that's it. God's presence with you. Why can you be strong? Why can you continue to work in, when there's disappointments? Well, firstly, because the promise of God's presence. But then he goes on and, and he says a little bit more. Let's keep reading. Uh, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. There's a, another kind of courageous statement. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will come once more, shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desired of all the nations will come i will fill this house with glory says the lord almighty the silver is mine the gold is mine declares the lord almighty the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the lord almighty and in this place i will grant peace declares the lord almighty remember they're discouraged the expectation was something great the reality was it was terrible Okay, God brings realism and says, yep, you're right, it's terrible. But then he says, be strong and continue to work regardless of the disappointment. Why? Because I am with you. Then he also gives us a few other reasons. The promise of God's presence, the reality of God's judgment. Now you might think, why, why would this give us confidence? What is God saying in that passage there? This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. Actually, interesting that little phrase there. And what is desired by all nations will come. Now, some scholars argue what that means. Could be a few things. But it could be Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, when He comes, which we know He has come. But also, which it, probably, it could mean lots of things, it probably does that, but also the church. Look what it says there, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house of glory. That the church becomes what? The ultimate temple of God. And so there will come a time where the church is coming. So that's the desire of all come, but he keeps on talking about this. Shake the nations. What is that talking about? Well, I think it's talking about the reality of God's judgment. You could look at it historically that uh, Haggai is saying there's going to come a time where the Persians will be destroyed and the Greeks will come in, but guess what? The Greeks will be destroyed and the Romans will come in, and 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 we see that through history. Uh, kind of a political uh, prophecy, but actually I think it's speaking of the reality that there will be a time that God will shake the nations, that there will be judgment. And the reason why I say this should spur us on is because at the time of judgment, it's also a time where there will be justice. Vengeance is the Lord's, not ours all the atrocities that we see and we hear and we read and it breaks our hearts, there will be a time where there will be justice. Now again, why isn't that happening now? I don't know. But we hold on to this truth that God's presence is with us and we hold on to the reality that there will be a judgment one day, even for our own actions, but for the world And so all that evil, all that pain that has been caused, God will judge. Look what it says in Hebrews. Actually, he's echoing the words or using the same words as as the prophet uh, Haggai. This is Hebrews. At that time, we're talking about the coming uh, return of Jesus and the, the judgment of the world. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake Not only the earth, but all the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things, so what cannot be shaken may remain. So it's kind of like, you know, when you empty out your bag and all the stuff, the junk falls out. That's what he's he's saying. There's going to be this shaking, this judgment with all the rubbish falls out. And so if you're discouraged by what is happening to you, around you, hold on to these promises We need to advocate for change. We need to be a part of that. But but it can be discouraging because you might be thinking nothing ever changes God. Hold on to this truth. God is working with you like a glove. Be strong and continue to work regardless of the disappointment. And remember the reality of God's judgment. There will come a day where people will have to stand before God and give an account to their actions. But not only that, we got the promise of God's presence. we got the reality of uh, uh, judgment. We want to hold on to the last one, and that is this. We want to be prisoners of hope, holding on to the future glory. So how do we be strong? How do we work in hope despite whatever circumstances, whatever situation you're going through? We, we want to be prisoners of hope, holding on to the future glory. That, that, that passage says, "...the glory of this present house..." will be greater than the glory of the former house. This is What is this talking about? Well, this is the, the kind of bringing it all together. It can be the church, the outworking of the church, but also ultimately we know there's going to come a time when Jesus will return. He will, will establish. He's established his kingdom, but, but a new heavens, a new earth, and so we hold on to this. We're prisoners of hope. Yes, we know that the life can be tough and there's some rubbish in there, but we have a hope that is more than optimism. We have a hope that is greater than all these disappointments. We hold on to this future glory. That The former house says the Lord, and in this place, and so this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So what we can uh, sometimes happen is we, 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 conti- we continue to look backwards and this is what the Israelites were doing, weren't they? They were looking back uh, and, and and there's nothing wrong with occasionally looking back. You know, when you're driving your car, you've got a rear view mission. You don't you don't spend the whole time looking at that, do you? Because you'd crash into something. Occasionally you glance up just to see what oh, what was that I ran over? Okay, keep going. You know, occasionally you look you look back, don't you? But the problem is we we can we can focus on on the whole looking back, and that's what they all were doing, the expectation, what's going on, why, the comparison. And God says, whoa, well, whoa, 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 hang on. You think that's good, wait till you see this. Wait till you see the outworking of this. As Christians, we need to be prisoners of hope. We don't diminish... The situation that we're in we don't have cliche statements oh you'll be all right mate it's only stage three we don't we realize we bring the reality to the situation but we also bring hope and we say there's something greater than this it's not just positive vibes or a nice card there's a future glory there's a future glory and if, if you know Jesus, you'll get to partake in it. You'll get to experience something that is great and perfect and right and proper when God brings it all together. It's broken at the moment, but it's not going to be broken forever. And that's what should motivate us to continue to move forward. In fact, being a prisoner of hope means that we, every single day, every single day, we should celebrate that we're alive that, and we should celebrate that we get to bring hope to other people you seen the movie dead poet society yes robin williams what was the classic that every 20 year old man got tattooed on the side of their bicep what was the phrase carpe diem did anyone get that tattoo you did you're only seven carpe diem what does it mean seize the day i reckon that's a pretty good thing to live by If we're prisoners of hope, we want to seize every single day. We want to to be strong and work. Is uh, Is life scary? Yep. Does it throw some curly things out? Absolutely. Don't diminish it. We want to bring change. We want to advocate for all that. But we hold on to the fact that we know that God walks and journeys with us. We remember and and bring the reality that there's going to be a shaking out, there's going to be a time where there is a shaking out, that there's a reality of judgment, when, when people will have to stand before God and say, wow, he brings justice. And we hold on to this future glory, knowing that it doesn't end like this. Why don't you bow your heads? I don't know your situation this morning, or your circumstances, and maybe you can relate to, yep, it's crap. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. I think God wants to say to you, and again, I'm not, I'm just using God's word. He wants to say, be strong. And in fact, if that's you this morning, I want to pray a special prayer a prayer that you can be strong and that you can walk and work regardless of the disappointment. So if that's you this morning, if you feel like, yep, it's crap and I don't need to know the situation or the circumstances, just acknowledge that reality by raising your hand because I want to pray for you right now. Nice and nice and high. Good. Father, I want to pray for every single person here who just put their hands up, quite a few, Lord. I don't know their situation. You do. Lord, the reality of whatever they're facing is not great. It doesn't feel good. It's stressful. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's pain. There's stress. Father, I ask and pray supernaturally that you would help them to be strong, to continue to work Lord that they would feel your presence like that glove that that, that your presence would wrap around them right now um, allowing them to know really loud and clear that you're there with them Father if, if it's your will you would remove that situation whatever that circumstance is Lord if not that you would give them the strength to keep moving forward help them to remember that you're there Help them to uh, be reminded of the reality that one day there will be an outworking of justice and help them to focus on on a future glory, Father. Father, may we be people here at Lakeside that are prisoners of hope, that we would seize every day, regardless of what that day may bring, that we would walk strong and courageously knowing that you're with us, knowing that you're coming back and that we get to be a piece of that in our community. We get to reflect that. We get to show that. We get to shine that, Father. Father, thank you for your word. May we continue to live it out in all areas of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen.